Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to today's Football Digest Daily with me, Ned Keaton. Joined this morning by Alex Richard and Colin Miller uh, to take possibly a slightly different track to what we're used to on this show. Normally we talk about Premier League, sometimes in the international break we talk about England too. But today we're talking about the biggest mess in football, arguably one of the biggest messes, if not the biggest mess. Uh, Barcelona, a club that's so big, won so many Champions Leagues, one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the biggest brands in the world. But now they seem to find themselves in a story state where they don't have their star player, they don't have their money, and they don't have enough money to even sack the manager that they no longer want. Um, Colin, that was a brief outline that I provided there. But for those of the uninitiated who might be listening to this and watching this, just in terms of the situation that Barcelona find themselves in and, and how they got here, I mean, just just try and bring us up to speed as briefly as you can. I know this stretches back a few years, but, but try and, yeah, as briefly as you can. <laughs> Yeah, the, the crisis of Barcelona, it is enormous. It, it really, you can't overstate just how bad it is. I mean, they're, they're well over a billion pounds in debt. They ran losses of almost 500 million euros for last season alone. And their wage bill had essentially just gone out of control in the past couple of years. And they'd sort of managed to get by because they had these huge profits coming in from match day revenues from multiple sponsorship and commercial deals. But a lot of that dried up during the pandemic. And whenever that happened, they, essentially they couldn't meet their costs. They had to essentially start selling a lot of their their biggest earners for very little money in terms of transfer fees. And they were desperate to slim down their wage bill. And obviously that got even worse last year without any fans in the stadium for a year. That culminated in the departure, obviously, of Lionel Messi um, alongside a number of other players. But the situation is still um, pretty diabolical, to be honest. Um, they really have a at least a short to medium term future of pretty pretty severe austerity. I think there's a lot of wage cuts that are still to come in. There's, there's going to be more players that will need to be moved on. So it really is is a crisis. It, it's not it's not not something to be understated at all. Alex, this isn't something that you'd expect of not only one of the biggest clubs in the world, but one of the biggest brands worldwide, regardless of sport or, or anything else. You know, this this you know you go to the darkest corners of the world. And you talk about football with someone and then they always talk about Barcelona or they'll bring them up and you see kids wearing Barcelona shirts, you know, in all four corners of the globe. Um, so in, in terms of, you know, a footballing point of view and a business point of view, it's, it, it's not really something you'd expect on, on both levels for them to find themselves in the situation that they're in. Oh, certainly not. And as Colin says, it's quite a, a seismic tale of mismanagement at the club. Um, you know, we've, we've seen in the last arguably 15 years they've won the Champions League in that period four times they have been the dominant team in La Liga they have been for many kind of a standard bearer for for attacking beautiful football Um, you think especially of the Pep Guardiola era but really in recent years this kind of this motto that they have of more than a club they've kind of used that in many ways as kind of a mask for for all these kind of wrongdoings and, and misdoings in the background that have gone on, you look at huge transfer fees that have been spent on on pretty average players. You, you know, you, you think to yourself that you don't mind a club who who spends big on star men and and get the worth from those kind of guys. You know, you you look at there was there was a furore when they signed Neymar initially, but he comes good and he delivers the goods. 
Um, so he offers value. You, you look at when they signed Luis Suarez from Liverpool and, and it's huge money. Again, scores goals by the bucket load, part of the best front three ever. And you look at the amount of money that they spent on Lionel Messi's contract as it grew and it grew, as his importance grew, as it became clear just, just how the best footballer in the world, how good he was uh, and how crucial he was to them. You don't mind them spending that kind of money on those kind of players. It's the money when you see them scrambling around, oh, we've sold, we've sold Neymar, we need a replacement. I'll tell you what, we'll get two. We'll spend all our money on him and we'll sign Usman Dembele, who a lot of potential, but only really had 18 months of real outstanding football at such a young age. Okay, they weren't to know he was going to have such injury problems, but come on, what are you spending so much money for? And then signing Philippe Coutinho, a player who was outstanding at Liverpool, let's not get it wrong, but secretly Jurgen Klopp was kind of okay with him going because it would allow him to evolve his own team. And hey, when Coutinho got to Barcelona, well, where do you actually play him? Because he can't actually do the Andres Iniesta role that you've earmarked him for, and he doesn't really fit in your front three either. Um, and besides those guys... So many more other players signed for big money. So many players just getting big, bigger and bigger contracts throughout the time. And then they've been unable to shift them. But it comes to a point where last summer they are doing this creative accounting with Juventus to ship Artur out one way and bring Miriam Pjanic in to try and balance the books. And then this summer, holy hell breaks loose and we have the mess that they are currently in. And they have to lose the world's best player. Um, As far as financial mismanagement goes... It's up there with 2008 housing crisis that caused so much problem across the world. Okay, perhaps that's being a little bit over the top and it's not quite that bad given it's only one club, but certainly if you're a Barcelona fan, you're looking at it and you're thinking, what the hell's gone on? It it really is just just staggering, isn't it? Um, Colin, this is a fairly basic question. I suppose there's probably multiple answers and we could, could almost do another six shows on it. But in terms of the situation that Barcelona are in... Who really is to blame? Well, the the club president that oversaw a lot of that financial mismanagement that Alex has just outlined. I mean, there was Jose Maria Bartomeu, who was almost the who was almost an accidental president in a way because he'd been a, he'd been a vice president under Sandro Rossell years before, and then whenever he had the whenever Rossell was forced to step down, he kind of stepped into the breach on a, on a temporary basis. But it was at that point when Barcelona went on to win the treble in 2015. So he, he, he ended up running for president and he won it off the back of that. And he had this mandate for years to kind of govern the club. But I mean, as you see there, I mean, like the, the signings of Coutinho, of uh, Antoine Griezmann, of Ousmane Dembélé, these are, these are the most expensive transfers of, of all time, almost, you know, that. And clubs knew Barcelona were desperate after they sold Neymar and they knew that they had a lot of money and and they, they went they went fully in on them and when you think about that Coutinho transfer I mean Liverpool selling Coutinho um, pretty much funded their Champions League title their Premier League title and I suppose that kind of shows the, the difference in a, in a well-run elite club whenever you can invest in Virgil van Dijk or Alison Becker and Fabinho and really target your weak points with, with with quality players whereas Barcelona were almost making vanity signings they were almost making signings to be like look we're, we're Barcelona we're still an elite club we are still bigger and more powerful than Paris Saint-Germain who, who were able to sign Neymar from us we can, we can still go out and sign the best players and I think a lot of it was down to that it was to do with vanity and it's due to the fact that like, we make so much money we can spend this amount of money and obviously in a business sense certainly looking back on it this was a terrible idea but whenever the results kept coming on the pitch with Lionel Messi obviously still about and they still had an incredibly talented squad albeit 
aging slowly. They were sort of approaching this kind of prefaces of a of, of a cliff edge, and they were they almost sleepwalked into this situation just because results were still coming on the field. But each season, I think it was Gerard Piquet said, each season we got worse and worse. Even if they were still winning titles, they were gradually getting worse, and and the, the sort of financial structures of the club or or lack of them um, really sort of accelerated that process. See that 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 moment where where the world was shocked by Neymar going to PSG uh, and how PSG just came and here's two hundred million. There's not nothing you can do about it. Here's his release clause, and, and there was at the time I think it was La Liga didn't want to let PSG into their offices to to let him go. Barcelona kicked up a bit of a fuss, but hey, legally they had no standing on it. That, that's the release clause. That's what happens. I think that's right. I think that that really flicked a switch with Barcelona. It, it made it made them think. Not just, oh my God, we can't have this happen again, so we have to start dishing out bigger contracts and bigger release clauses to players. But also, it kind of made them reassess the order of of European football. Because we'd had a number of years where you had a Champions League where Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich were were in the final four consistently. And then Juventus kind of approached it and, and got to a couple of finals. And we all knew PSG, that's what they were aiming for. They were dominating in France and, and the Champions League was the end goal. And, and they signed Neymar and they signed Kylian Mbappe. I think it gave Barcelona kind of a, a nudge that, hold on, there's some new players in town and you throw Manchester City in. And this was, I think, a year after Pep had arrived in Manchester. And I think Barcelona really worried about that. And, and suddenly it's, okay, what do we do? Right, we have to prove ourselves. We have to prove that we're Barcelona, this big name, this big brand, and we have to go out and sign these big players, even if it didn't really fit a footballing plan. Um, and as Colin said, it was, it was all about vanity. And I think that vanity is, has got us to where we are now. As we touched on, it might have been uh, Jose Maria Bartomeu who, who led Barcelona into this mess, but it's down to uh, Joan Laporta, the returning Joan Laporta, uh, to try and get them out of it at least. Um, as we mentioned earlier, about a billion pounds uh, in debt Barcelona currently are. Uh, but Colin, Laporta seems fairly confident. Uh, well, at least he said last month that he was fairly confident that he could kind of turn this around in 18 months, get Barcelona back into a good financial place within that time frame. Is that wishful thinking from him or is, or is this something that Barcelona really can achieve and, and try and get back uh, towards the upper echelons of European football? I think whenever you listen to John Laporta, you have to listen to it through the sort of, through the lens, I suppose, that he's a politician and that he's someone that, that knows how to, how to say things that people want to hear more than necessarily the reality. And I know that might sound a little bit harsh, but this is a guy who pretty much won the presidency based on his sole promise. We're keeping Messi. You know, I have a plan. We're keeping Messi. He's not going to leave if I'm president. That's why you should elect me. That was essentially his campaign. And that one promise, he he pretty much, I mean, he failed to meet it. And not only did he fail to meet it, but he did so on what is increasingly looking um, like the rejection of, of funds that have been attained, certainly through La Liga. Um, in terms of how they could, in the short term at least, keep Messi, keep their star players. But what Laporta did in the direction that he appears to be taking Barcelona is sort of wedded to this idea of a European Super League, which to many, many fans of the Premier League, it might sound, oh, that's, that's dead in the water, you know, like all these clubs are through from it. But if you look at what's happened in Barcelona, at Real Madrid and Juventus, these three clubs are still sticking 
to these plans and, and to what they've done. And, and I mean, I'm not really, I'm not sure myself how that is realistic or how that's plausible, but a lot of their sort of financial projections have been based on this idea that they're going to have a guaranteed stream of income through a super league and through all the sponsorship that that would bring. So at the moment, I can't imagine how they can plan with any degree of certainty for the future whatsoever. And you look at that debt, you look at the losses that were accrued the um, last season, almost 500 million euros. I mean, that is that is astonishing. And not only that, but you looked at the, the, the wage bills from La Liga that were published last week. And Barcelona are seventh in La Liga. There's six clubs in La Liga alone who can spend more on a wage bill than they can. Real Madrid's is seven or eight times the size of Barcelona. So when you think about when you think about that and you think about only two two years ago, Barcelona had the biggest wage bill in sport, in sport, not, not just football, but in all sport. And they have gone down so much in such a short period of time that obviously the situation will have to stabilize at some point. They obviously are still a huge brand despite the loss of Lionel Messi. They can still make lots of money and lots of profit, but there's so much debt to be written off. And they've almost been taking out debts and loans to cover the debt as well in the past year or two. So that it's a, it's a hugely complicated situation. It's definitely a long-term thing. And I don't think 12 to 18 months is a realistic time scale for them getting back to anywhere near the level that they've been or that we've expected them to be. Alex, the debt as well is causing Barcelona problems in terms of uh, the management of the team as well. Uh, when Laporta returned, he kind of intimated that he didn't see Kuhlman as part of his long-term plans. Then somehow in the summer, you know, if you read the right reports, suggest that he was going to keep him on. And then start of September, it's now gone back the other way and that uh, is trying to get Kuhlman out. You know, we've seen people like Roberto Martinez, uh, Xavi linked with, with the return to Barcelona to possibly take over. But the issue is, is that because Barcelona as well and, and the lack of finances and how Koeman ended up at Barcelona in the first place and all the clauses that exist in his contract and, and the fact that he had to buy himself out of his own Netherlands contract before he could go into Barcelona, it's kind of really tying them in a mess. You know, we've we, we talked, this, you know, this whole podcast has probably been talk, brought to you by the word mess, but the management situation as well is just a, another massive mess for Barcelona. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'll be honest, Ned, if Barcelona wanted Roland Koeman gone, he'd be gone regardless of, regardless of these, these legal ties and his contract, regardless of how much they needed to pay him off. If Joanne Laporta wanted rid of Ronald Koeman, he'd be gone. But Koeman's kind of a nice little lightning rod for him at the moment. So something that obviously there's going to be criticism over the style of play. There are fans that don't really want him there. There are probably board members that don't really want him there. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on Barcelona on the field. And, and we all know this is going to be a messy period. And, and why not just leave him there? Why not just have Ronald Koeman as, as this kind of this kind of guy that's just going to be fronting up week in, week out, doing press conferences, talking after and before games? Just let him constantly get a little bit of abuse because Koeman is, is broad shoulders and he knows that this is his dream job and he, he was never going to get it again. He was only ever going to walk into it last year when nobody else really wanted it. And I'd suggest that is still the same situation now and that's the situation Jordan Laporta finds himself in. He would get rid of Ronald Koeman if he could get in a replacement that he thought was was value. Um, but simple fact of the matter is you'd have to be mad to take that job right now. Um, club legends like Xavi don't want it. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has been linked in, in, in some media. Now, why would Jurgen Klopp walk out on Liverpool to walk into that? I mean, come on, let's be realistic. So after the, after the defeat to Atletico Madrid, it was no surprise that Laporta turns around and says he'll he'll be the coach regardless, and and that he's got a contract, and we we hope he'll get us back to winning ways. 
oh, that's great. I, I think there'll be a lot of Barcelona fans hoping Laporta can get them out of their financial mess, as we keep coming back to. Um, but that, that's, that's where they're at now. Laporta, as, as Colin says, you have to view everything he says through a certain lens. And, and I think this lens is very much Ronald Koeman's in charge because no one else wants the job and because he's the ideal candidate to get a hell of a lot of stick that won't be going towards the board. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good point as well, Alex. The fact the fact that at the end of last season, Laporta said he he literally came out and said, you know, we're going to give ourselves two weeks. We're going to see if we can <laughs> we can find a replacement for Kuman, and if we can't, we're 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 sticking with Kuman. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, this isn't this isn't um, guesswork that, that's going on here in terms of oh, what's the sort of mindset. He came out and said at the end of last season that yeah, we 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 would like to upgrade if if we could. We'll analyze the market and uh, and then we'll make a decision. And they. They couldn't find anyone, so they stuck with him, and and that and that almost in itself is a is a message that to to come in directly, obviously that you know you're you're not our first choice, you're probably not even our second choice, but also to the players. I mean, you kind of you kind of think of you know where's the leadership coming from? Why why would they have any faith in a guy that the club clearly don't really have any faith in, and he's just there to soak up the pressure at the minute, as Alex says. I mean, it's, I mean you know after each defeat or after each. Each terrible performance. I mean, fans aren't going to be talking about the board. They're going to be talking about the manager just because it's the easy thing to do. And I mean, yeah, he deserves quite a lot of criticism, I think, for for the ways in which he's conducted himself at certain times. But in a way, he's in a lose lose situation. No matter what happens uh, until the end of his contract, the end of the season, he will not be there next year. And you kind of think it's a damage limitation exercise for Kuman and for the club at the moment. Hundred percent. And you also look at like he's been allowed to continue managing. He, he'll he have the likes of Sergio Busquets, Gerard Piquet. They know all about Ronald Koeman, the player. And, and obviously in 1992, Barcelona's first European Cup, he scores a winning goal. So he is a club legend in that respect. You also have the likes of Memphis Depay come in who've worked with Koeman before, like Koeman. So that's a nice little avenue there where he's got a good relationship with a player who is now absolutely vital to them. Um, but you also look at this Barcelona board and, and kind of Koeman... Luke de Jong, they need a striker, so they bring in Luke de Jong. Now, Luke de Jong did okay at Sevilla. That's absolutely fine. Luke de Jong has a very good goal-scoring record at most places he's been. He also has a lot of international caps and a decent scoring record at international level. But if Barcelona, Luke de Jong isn't a centre-forward that you would expect Barcelona's scouting department and, and, and whoever to throw up as we need a striker, where should we look? There's Luke de Jong, let's get him. That's very much a Ronald Koeman signing. That's very much Koeman has said, I need a striker and they've gone, well, have you any ideas? So that's another little way where they're kind of hanging him out to dry in that respect because Luke de Jong is obviously going to become the whipping boy when he isn't scoring 20, 25 goals this season and doing what Luis Suarez used to do. Um, so as Colin says, this is just Koeman being front and centre right now for, for the barrage of abuse that is going to be coming his way. We'll try and give uh, to any Barcelona fans listening to this some some grains of positivity at least. Um, I don't think you can, Ned. <laughs> all is not lost, at least. Anyway, some of the young talents that they've got through and coming through and Pedri, Antti Fati, Gabby getting his call up to the Spain national team this week as well. But the issue is, is that we're almost putting a hell of a lot of pressure on these young players, Colin, aren't we, to try and, you know, be seen as the lights that can lead Barcelona out of this dark, dark period. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can sort of see that better better than anywhere else when you look at Pedri last season. I think he played over 70 matches for Barcelona and Spain and he only turned 18 last season, you know, and that's, those are the sorts of things that you kind of think, yeah, he's, a, he's obviously a fantastic player, but whenever you have such reliance on players who are so young and who are still developing, not just physically, but psychologically and mentally as well. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, Barcelona is not an easy club to be because pretty much, pretty much as we've been talking about, it's almost like the next match is the next crisis, right? That, that's, that's the thing. And, and for players and for a coach like that, though, that isn't easy when, when you're constantly being criticized and being analyzed to that degree, but you're right. Pedri's a fantastic talent. Ansu Fati is a, is a, is a revelation really. And he's, he had that serious knee injury. He's had a couple of surgeries and he came back and scored almost with his first touch um, last week. And I think those two players are the sort of standout young talents in Spanish football. They are absolutely superb. And there's, there's others too. Obviously, Gabby's coming through now in midfield and they've a lot of, they've a lot of youth players who are starting to emerge. And I guess that's kind of, that's always the, almost like the, the welcome side effect of, of having, of not having the financial resources you may have had in the past. It almost forces you to, to bring through younger talents and to give them a chance and sometimes sometimes they'll surprise people and sometimes they'll do better than expected and Ronald Rojo as well who um, is a Uruguayan defender who they signed a couple of years ago as a teenager and he's turned out to be arguably their most important player so far this season so you, you, you do get these gems that are coming through and obviously it's, it's within the context of you know we, we can't really afford to do anything else. So I think if they can manage, if they can manage their playing time right and they can manage their development off the pitch right, then yes, they've got a couple of fantastic players in their hands. But you get around to this thing again of just are they going to be forced to sell their best players in the next year or two to, to write off some of their debt and to balance the books a bit? And I guess that's that those are the decisions that are going to have to be made by by the club in, in the months and years to come. Alex, we've been spending this podcast talking about Barcelona exclusively so far, but is there a wider issue with Spanish football that maybe we need to discuss at this point as well? Because you look at Real Madrid too, and and they're not the Galacticos that we kind of grew up with, you know, even definitely not from the early noughties and then even through the early part of the last decade as well, where they had Ronaldo and Kaká and, and Benzema and Bale. They don't have that that same long squad list that you kind of look at and go, wow, anymore. And and of course, last week as well, losing to Sharif in the, uh, in the Champions League too. Um, yeah, but you, you look at Real Madrid and I will give Florentino Perez a certain degree of credit in that he has this summer looked at their wage bill and, and kind of decided we need to make cuts here. Both clubs have always had a, a long history of being given a certain latitude and a certain relaxed manner from Catalan government or from the Madrid-based government where their finances are concerned because as far as both of those go, it is good for them to have a strong football team. Um, I think what we're seeing, though, is just just kind of the cyclical nature of football. Um, if we rewind to the late 90s, you had Valencia winning the title, Deportivo winning the title, other teams challenging. Then you had this domination where your super clubs come out. Now, if your super clubs are kind of eating themselves and and not really looking after their finances in a way that allows them to continue this kind of spending on elite players and continues to grow in that respect, then they're going to come back into the into the the bunch, so to speak. And that's allowing, as we saw last season, Atletico Madrid to win the title again, um, who aren't without their own financial issues, of course. Um, they do like to spend themselves. So I think it's, it's just the kind of cyclical nature of football. And this is what we're seeing in Spain. It's what we're seeing in, in Italy as well with Juventus. And unironically, it's those three clubs that are pushing this Super League because 
they know that they need to kind of they need to get that done now to keep themselves out ahead of everybody. Otherwise, they are going to be brought back into their respective packs and their brands, so to speak, aren't quite as sexy when they're not winning every week. I think, but this 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 all comes back just just briefly to, to to the Super League and to the fact that the Premier League has this TV deal, which is essentially their their cash cow. You know, I mean, yeah. the Premier League has has income streams that no other no other team in the world has access to at the minute, just courtesy of the Premier League's TV deal. Obviously, with their overseas commercialization and everything else, and and that's something that has really come into play with especially with the pandemic closing stadiums whereby your match day revenue goes out of your your other income streams are cut off and that those tv deals have stood alone and that's that's accelerated the barcelona crisis and it's, it's accelerated crisis elsewhere as well it's not just in spain you look at juventus the losses they've recorded inter who just won the league had to sell their two best players just to balance the books for this season so yeah it, it, there's an issue with spanish football and finances that, that, that maybe he's now being stabilized a little bit and it'll take a few years to recover from. But as Alex said, it's a cyclical, it's a cyclical sport. And I think the challenge for other leagues and other clubs is how can we match that TV deal and how can we compete with the Premier League clubs financially? And I think if they can answer that question, then we'll we'll probably see a change of the guard again in a few years to come. Colin, how do Barcelona get out of this mess? Or perhaps more crucially, the question should be, can can they actually come out of the mess that they're in? Yeah, it's it's a million dollar question and it's it's something that this summer was like a real a real reality check whenever Messi had had to go um up until the up until that point where he left we kept getting told no he's staying he's staying he's staying and and that's what he thought that's what he was told by the club that that's what that's what they you know that's what they briefed they had the contract all, all drawn up and then it's all of a sudden actually we can't do it so whenever you get to that point and you think well how much can you trust what the club are saying? How much can you trust what the board are saying? I mean, they've they inherited this from, 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 their, from their predecessors, but at the same time, they would have had a general idea and understanding through, through the audits that, that they carried out and the finances. And it's not just that. I mean, the Camp Nou needs restructured. It needs, it needs to be redeveloped. They have their SPI Barca project, which is the, the whole surrounding area and the match day experience. And, and they've committed to pumping hundreds of millions in, into that too. And, that's something that almost is a long-term view that Real Madrid have done with their Santiago Bernabeu redevelopment. And it's something that Barcelona have tried to replicate. But all these costs and all these commitments, it's very hard to see how they can get out of this in the next two to three years. Right? I think I think it's all about right now is that they just have to almost take their medicine and be like, right, we, we, we need... We need to continue to slim down our wage bill to stabilize the situation, potentially sell one or two more star players. And that's something they don't want to do, but losing Messi was something they, they didn't want to do, but they had to. So it, it's going to be interesting to see just how how they manage it. I, I mean, listen, Barcelona will be back. It, it, it's a question of when. And I, I just don't think the two to three years is, is a realistic um, possibility that they're going to be back in football's elite by that time. I think their best plan of action is to trust in this sort of young core of players to try to phase out these aging stars. I mean, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba. I mean, these are players who earn big money. I know they've taken wage cuts, but they earn big money. They've been around for years. And I think it's at the point now where they're contributing to this sporting underperformance too. So someone's going to need to come in and make those tough decisions. And that's actually something that Koeman did when he was appointed. He essentially phoned Suarez after a couple of days, like, look, we're selling you. He was told, like, you know, I the board didn't didn't want to say it to Suarez's face. So they made Cumin do it. So can they get somebody else to replace Cumin to come and say to these other players, like, 
sorry, but you're going to have to find somewhere else to play. That's that's a big question as well. So it'll be interesting to see just how they manage that and how they, they sort of deal with the post cumin era whenever whenever that begins. I think the key thing, Ali, Ned, is there's, there's no happy ending. As simple as that, there is no happy ending for this Barcelona team. Um, the last, you can probably go back to the Champions League in 2015 when they beat Juventus and we we were regaling over how great that front line of Messi, Suarez and, and Neymar was. And since then, it's been humiliation in Europe against whoever you, you want to name. You know, Bayern Munich defeat comes to mind. But you look at you look at losing to Benfica 3-0 in the group stage of the week. hadn't never used to happen. They used to go to Portugal and they used to come away with a 2-0, a 1-0, a 2-1 win. And you'd think, oh, they haven't played great. They'd probably give a 6 out of 10 performance, but they've won and they've come away. Now they're losing 3-0 there and looking an absolute disaster um there's, there's no happy ending for barcelona other than you've got all you've got these high quality young players and they're going to get the chance to play and to develop and we're going to see those guys grow um on the flip side of that i am a huge fan of frankie de Jong, but he made the wrong move looking back with hindsight which is a tremendous thing he made the wrong move going to barcelona he would be a much better player now if he were playing for manchester city or even for paris saint-germain than, than he has become at Barcelona. And, and he's still an outstanding player, but he would be better. Um, there is no happy ending to this. They are just going to have to, as Colin says, take their medicine and deal with it. Um, and it's going to be painful. There's no two ways about that. It's going to be difficult. But as Colin also says, they will come again. They're too big an institution to be allowed to go under and, and they will come again at some point. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning to talk all things Barcelona. Uh, it's definitely been a tough couple of years for Barcelona and it's going to be an even tougher period ahead uh, before they, they might even find themselves back towards the upper echelons of European football. But it's one that we'll, we'll certainly be looking at and, and kind of taking great interest in. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.